Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. Writing online is a career fast track, but with over 203 million freelance writers worldwide, it's easy to get lost in the pack. So how can you stand out? Peak Freelance gives you the tools to find better clients, raise your rates, and focus on doing work you enjoy. Access a supportive community of like-minded freelancers and experienced writers who make a living writing. All Access members unlock a library of resources, templates, and interviews with content pros like me to grow and scale your business. There's never been a better time to invest in your freelance writing business. So are you ready to take the leap? If so, visit peakfreelance.com membership and use the code FWC10 to get 10% off an all access membership. One thing that people constantly ask me about is setting boundaries. Often this comes up because people are experiencing a client who won't leave them alone. They feel like they won't respect the the work that they're doing or they're calling them up constantly and they're like, this person is taking over my life and they're not respecting my boundaries. So we wanted to have an episode where we really dug into this. Like we want to talk about everything having to do with client boundaries. How do you create them? How do you uphold them? How do you decide what they should be? So Kaylee, like when it comes to boundaries for your business, like what are some of some of the ones that, that you have set up to keep yourself protected? So I want to kick this off by saying that as a people pleaser, this is an ongoing battle for me because I always want everybody to be super happy. And (laughs) I just feel like that kind of naturally lends itself to getting walked all over. So I have taken some steps to, to make this easier on myself. So I'm not having to kind of scramble and correct things once they've gone off course. A few things that have been really helpful are just being really clear about expectations up front. So my onboarding email that I send anytime a new client reaches out really clearly lays out my office hours, my expectations, my process, how somebody can get in touch with me. Just kind of like, if you would like to work with me, here's what this looks like. You know, just if, if you can't say that this sounds good to you and you can kind of fall in line with what I've laid out here, then, then let's address that now. Um, rather than getting, you know, three weeks into a project and then figuring that out and, and being in a bad spot. So the onboarding email is a big one. I think another thing too is just being really selective about the projects that I say yes to, which again is a, a very privileged thing to be able to to do that. But in the old days when I first started freelance writing, I would say yes to any project that came my way. And by getting a little bit more niche down focusing on a specific subject matter expert area, I have just ended up referring a bunch of projects out to different people. So that's good for me because I feel like that usually comes back around in the form of referrals or just other opportunities down the road. But it also keeps me from being super overloaded to the point where getting walked all over and and having demands that are unrealistic and can't be met, it just doesn't really happen that much anymore. So the filtering 
And I can talk more about how I, I approach the filtering mechanism, but I think the onboarding email is a big one for me. So I think you do something similar. Tell me what yours looks like. Yeah. So I used to have an onboarding doc. It was like a PDF where it, it has two, it had two sections. It has what I expect from you, what you can expect from me. Um, because I try and tell my clients like, this is a partnership. It's not just all about like, I run the show. Um, it's, it's about us working together to basically, you know, deliver the, the value that you need. But I changed it from a PDF mostly because it was annoying to update the PDF. And so now I just send it in an email. So once someone has signed the proposal, they get an email that's like, yay, I'm so excited that we're going to work together. It asks them to like schedule our kickoff call, which is part of my process. And then it has the, what you can expect from me, what I can expect from you. And just so people like have a sense of what these things are. Some examples for me are like, I promise to respond to emails within 48 hours unless I'm on vacation. And if I go away, I'll tell you. And then I also like have it turned on them. So it's like, I expect you to respond to my emails within 48 hours so that I have all of the information I need to complete projects. It has things about expected turnaround time. So it's like, once I receive a completed brief or like I'm totally ready to go on a project, I need at least, I don't know if it's one week or two, but I have some you know, some time frame. I say like, I'm not available to jump on day of calls. If you want to schedule a meeting with me, use my calendar link. I have, it's not like that lengthy of a list, but like, it just gives somebody a sense of like how we can work together. Because I think boundaries are not about like keeping someone out. It's about giving people guidelines so that they understand how they're going to get the most out of the relationship. And I think something that is tricky here is often I have people coming to me about maintaining client boundaries when things have already gone off the rails. But so much of making sure the relationship is in the right place is is doing it at the beginning through those onboarding docs that we're talking about. And when someone has things gone off the rails already, like I usually recommend like, okay, well, maybe you need to have a reset chat with the client where you say like, hey, uh, this isn't working for me. Like I'm no longer going to be available on text message. (laughs) For example, I gave advice to one coaching client that she had someone who was in a different time zone who like across the world who would send her WhatsApp messages like all night long. And she would get up and in the morning and immediately respond to this and feel all this pressure. She felt like he wasn't upholding her boundaries. And I was like, sounds like you need to remove that, that, well, I guess WhatsApp, you can't remove from your phone, but like, sounds like you need to remove the notifications and you respond to those notifications at 9am. And if you feel that he gives you pushback from that, you say, oh, my working hours are nine to five. Like I receive all your messages and I promise to get them within, you know, get to them within you know, those, the next day's working hours or whatever it is. Yeah. I think being really firm in the way that you communicate is important in those conversations too. So I've noticed this more with women, but some men have, have a struggle with it as well as removing those words that I'd call like detractors when they're writing an email or even on a call where you're sounding a little bit more wishy-washy in what you're, you're saying. So you'll say things like, well, I think, or I would love to be able to do that or, I sort of can get to that, you know, cut those words out, cut those words out of the conversation, out of your vocabulary, and just be more direct in the way that you communicate. And I feel like that establishes the tone of the communication between both parties moving back and forth. Because the second you start to use those terms, 
the more the dynamic shifts so that the other person has the power to kind of steer the ship in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like I have an important thing to note here is that the reason that freelancers don't want to sort of uphold these boundaries and like use that language is because they're worried that the client will like fire them or they won't be liked or something like that. And I think like that is a challenge, like, but at the same time, it's it's kind of like you sort of teach people how you want them to treat you. And if you are like what happens is is if someone is violating those boundaries and they don't know that they exist, that's actually like on you. Like, I think that what I hear is that some freelance writers will blame their client. They're like, he's emailing me all the time. He's doing this. He's doing that. I've even had a tendency to do that as well. But the truth is, is like, if you are not firm then that person may not know. And that's not to say like we should be doing all of the work for the boundary violators, but ultimately like sometimes people work in-house. They've never worked with a freelancer before. They don't know how that relationship should go. They like need a little bit of training. And I think if we're really good at our jobs, like we provide that, you know, because if they want a full-time employee in-house, like they can get a full-time employee in-house. Yeah. It's a really slippery slope. And I know that we've talked about scope creep in a previous episode, This is more just kind of overarching boundaries in general, because sometimes it's not even about the project. Sometimes it's the preliminary conversation you're having with a client. Sometimes it's uh, at the beginning of a, a new project, even if you have worked with them before, maybe they just feel like things have changed on their end. And so there's more pressure on their end. So that pressure is then pushed to you. And, and it happens all the time. It happens in every vertical, like no, no freelance no matter what realm you're in, whether it's accounting or writing or designing, this this happens all the time. And it's it just it's one of those things that creeps up and can be really sneaky. So I think for me too, another big helpful uh, element that I've integrated into my my process is this filtering that I talked about a little bit earlier. So mm, yeah. asking a few quick key questions right up front helps me kind of get a grasp on if the project makes sense. So asking like what's your budget for this? What's your turnaround that you're expecting? Can you give me a brief overview of the scope of the project? Asking those questions up front can help you better gauge if it's going to make sense for you right now. Maybe you're overextended and you see that this project is going to be much bigger than you thought it was going to be. And if that's the case, you can maybe recommend somebody else or you can recommend some supporting other folks that they should hire to help with the project. But I think you need to know these things up front. Even for me, like asking, do you have a content strategy already in place? That's been a big one. If they can't answer yes to that, I don't want to work with them yet because that they don't have that piece of the puzzle done and it's going to make my job so much harder. Yeah, yeah. And I think it depending on what you do, those questions may be different. But yeah, that they sort of go through a filtering mechanism so that you're like not getting on the phone with people that are like so far out of potentially being a fit, right? I mean, I think that's what it's all about. And I think like seeing, like, you know, there's like some quote where it's like, when people show you who they are, believe them. So like, if someone is like a jerk to you through the onboarding process or or I guess through the sales process, right? If they are emailing you at all hours, if they have like crazy questions, if they're trying to just jump on a call, like they are going to be like that as a client. It's not going to be different when they're paying you, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't work with them. It means that you need to factor that into how you quote them. Like, 
I've heard some freelancers talk about that they like have what they consider like a difficult client fee, which I think like, I don't really have something like that, but they, they are thinking deliberately like, oh, if this person needs more handholding and they need a lot more than average, like they need to be charged accordingly. Right. So I think so much has to do with like, is it, is it worth it? And I think this, this gets at like another thing that comes up with boundaries is like, when you have friends and family or old coworkers or people that you know really well. That's a tricky one. I think like when you have friends and family asking you to do something for them, how do you deal with that? Like what would you recommend in those scenarios? For me, I would just say don't do it. (laughs) I would say don't do it because I've done it in the past and it just never ends up going well and you end up doing more than you originally thought you would because you want to do the best job you possibly can because you know this person, you like them. For me, it's just, it's often a no-go. Now, the exception to that is you and I, I've hired you like to write sales pages for me and you have done an excellent job. But I think that you and I have a established relationship where there's no like people pleasing in the relationship. Like we just, very direct, you know? But you can kind of gauge, you have a gut reaction to what your dynamics are like in your different relationships. And some of them, you just get that feeling like, oh, I I know what this person's like. Like, you should trust that gut feeling, I think, 99% of the time. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the example of us working together because we're friends. But I feel like it's like a little bit different in the sense that like, you are like paying me adequately if I'm doing a job for you. And like, likewise, like I think I've hired you for a coaching call or whatever. Like we've worked together on things in the past, but I don't think there's any question of like, is this person trying to take advantage of me? Like we're, right. we're, we're just, we would sort of ask each other, well, what's it going to cost and then pay whatever it is. Like, I just don't, I think, I think the reason that the boundaries can be tricky with the friends and family is because of like the discount thing of like, oh, you're my brother-in-law. I'll write your website for half the price or for the experience or for no money at all. And that's when things can kind of like spiral out. Like I saw something on LinkedIn the other day where they were talking about like doing work for family and they, somebody had said something like, oh, if I hire family to work for me, like I want to pay them full price because like that's their well being, right? Like I want my family, like I don't want them to spend time on me. And I thought, I don't think everyone has that attitude, but I do think that's like a really good attitude where like, <laughs> you know, if I'm thinking about hiring, you know, if I had an, uh, a cousin who was a plumber and I needed plumbing work, like there's something to be said for, if you can afford it, for saying like, I'm going to pay you your full rate because if you're spending time at my house fixing my toilet, you're not out there making $300 fixing somebody else's. So I think it's just like a general lesson in not taking advantage of people Because I do think like there's some pot calling the kettle black here issues where like freelancers are like, I don't want anyone to walk all over me. And yet can we trade services and do, you know, like they, they, for, for themselves, they're like, I'm trying to get a deal on design work or something like that. Right. So I think, I think it's important to remember that it goes both ways. Yeah. I think in general, just having things documented is a good safeguard because then you have a a documented something that you can point back to when things start to go awry and just say like, Hey, you know, we talked about this right out the gate. You know, you can even copy paste and be like, this is what we agreed to. If you really need something to fall back on, I think it's, it's good to have that documentation in place. And the other thing too, is like you said, you can't go into these relationships 
with a like resentment chip on your shoulder, you know, if you're doing it for less and you offered it, you know, you offered it at the discounted price. You can't be mad if it goes a certain way. And I, I mean, it's, it's again, like you have to set people up to treat you the way you want to be treated. Like you said. Yeah. And I do think, I think you're totally right about having the documents. So like, even if it's your brother or whoever it is, like you should have a clear like scope. I remember I helped my sister write her website many years ago and I wasn't very worried about it because I'm not worried about my sister, like taking advantage of me. But I was kind of like, why don't you come over and we will spend this evening working on it together. And if we need another evening, we'll spend one more evening. And it was kind of very simple about like what the scope of what we were going to do is. But like even just having that, like we're going to set this time and we're going to do this together in in these like two days, like that worked really well because it was kind of like we were both dedicating the time to doing it. And then it was also like more of a collaborative process. So I think that's kind of, it depends on what the work is, but if it's a family member who just needs help with something, like it didn't make sense for my sister to hire like a website developer or a writer to help her do it. Like for what she, what her goals were, right? She's a teacher and she needed like a very simple teacher's website. It didn't make sense, but she did need like a little bit of extra assistance with getting the site set up, which my husband helped her with and a a little bit of the writing and navigating, which I helped her with. So like, I mean, in that sense, it's like, that's not like, please write my whole website for my, you know, million dollar generating business, right? It's like, it's a different, it's a different thing. Yeah. I think another place where this gets super tricky is with consulting or like interim content marketing lead type roles. So I posed a question about this on Twitter last week. And I was like, you know, for people who've, who've been asked to act as like an interim marketing lead or oversee blog efforts for a company if they're in between marketing hires or something like that, how in the world do you scope that? Because it can mm. so easily just spiral out of control. And and almost everybody I talked to was like, yeah, it's nearly impossible. It's just one of those things where you you kind of default into employee mode. Even if you're saying like, I'll give you 15 hours of my time every month, it always seems to go beyond that because there are so many things that get lumped onto your plate. So it's a, it's a difficult thing. And maybe the scope of work needs to be like a living document that's constantly evolving and you're, you're time tracking and you're really keeping a close eye on how much you're investing into the, the project that you've agreed to. And you need to go back and say like, Hey, you know, we reached the 15 hour mark two weeks ago and I've devoted another 20 hours to this in the meantime. So I'm going to need to charge for that. And I think a lot Mm, of it is for what you need and asking for what you deserve based on what you've delivered. And that's tough. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. The the scoping is, is like an interesting challenge. And I feel like it's something that, I don't know, like that has always been something that's made me shy away from that kind of work because it's like very, very difficult to scope out. And I think that if you're in that kind of position, like maybe that's sort of like what you have to be prepared for a little bit that it's going to get wiggly, that you're going to have to be very clear about the boundaries, very clear about what the scope entails, again, from the beginning. I think people that do it and do it often get really good at that because it's a necessity. Right. At least yeah. at least that's, that, that's how I see it, right? And I think, like, I think boundaries are the kind of thing that like you get better at as you go on because you get burned by things and you're like, never again, never yep. again, right? And then you figure out how to address it for future clients. And if you're not like, especially when you're starting out, if you're not like taking what you learn from 
clients and applying it to the business. I'm like, (laughs) why bother? Right. It's like, if you have a client and they don't uphold your boundaries and this is what they do and that and this, then you could say like, okay, my next client, I'm not doing any meetings or, you know, I'm not going to do this kind of work because it wasn't what I like. It's all about kind of learning those things and then, and then implementing it into your business. Yeah. I I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think the just being proactive and trying to get out in front of it as much as you can, you learn how to do that each time you, you do it. So you learn as you go. But I think, like you said, it's, it's always easier to, to address those things up front rather than try to backpedal once you're too far in and the resentment and the, the anger just kind of keeps growing as you continue to devote your time and energy to these projects that are kind of just spiraling out of control. So yeah. And Resentment is not a good place to dwell. Like that's not a good place to dwell. So like if you are feeling super resentful, either you need to figure out a way to change the situation and do it as soon as possible, whether that's a conversation with your client or whatever it is that you feel that you, you can do to make it so that you're not in a place of resentment. Or like, I think it's also okay that if you're in that place to say like, this client isn't a good fit for me. Like when I finish this, like I'm done. And I... I think it's really hard to fire clients, especially like, I feel like a lot of times the boundary question comes up when somebody is getting paid a lot by a particular client. And sometimes it's like, there's a freelancer, but they only have one client. And that one client they have is kind of treating them like a full-time employee and really like using and abusing them or whatever. And so they don't want to fire that client because they're so dependent on them for the income. And it's like, at some point, like that becomes like, you got to quit your job. Right. Like that, you know, even though you you either need to just quit and do it cold turkey or you need to like get some other clients so that that person, that that client is no longer dominating, but you got to figure out an escape plan. And I think it's okay to say like this, this is not working for me anymore. Like I got to get out um, and potentially take it, take a hit while you figure out the next steps. The final note I want to say here is that one thing I've seen happen often is that when the scope starts to expand beyond what was originally agreed to, sometimes the client will just think, oh, well, I'll just throw more more money at it and that'll solve the problem. But mm. sometimes you get to that point where you're just like, physically, like this, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. Yeah, you're right. asking for too much. I'm overcommitted. I'm spending too much time, even when I'm not working, thinking about this. So I think it's fine to be like, you know what? I will take the money that you're offering because I have done the work, but I also need to say goodbye because I am maxed out and I can't, I can't do any more for you at this point. You, yeah. you don't have to choose one or the other. And I feel like so often with freelancing, you, you feel the scarcity that you're so scared to ask for anything, but sometimes yeah, it's okay fair. to say, you know what? I'll take both. I'll take both of those options. And I will still say we're going to wrap this up and I'm going to help you figure out if you're nice, I'm going to help you figure out maybe somebody else who can help you or several other people who can help you, but I can't do it anymore. Yep. Yep. I think that's right. And I do think that your note of like, there's some clients who are like, money's no object. And and some people listening might be like, that sounds like an awesome problem to have. And like, it is, but if you are resentful of the kind of work that they're throwing at you, like if you have some client who you're creating blog content for, and then they're asking you to create custom images for the blog and you're not a designer, but you said yes, because you just wanted the work, like that is like not a great situation. Like you're better off saying like, no, I don't do design work. I can help you find a designer if you want. And you don't even need to offer that help to find a designer, but like, Part of upholding boundaries is like just saying like, oh, I don't do that work. 
Like, I'm not a designer. You should hire a designer for that, right? Like, in some ways, that's very simple. Um, It's harder once you've agreed to it. But you can say, like, you can always say, you know, my workload has changed and I can no longer do the images for this blog content anymore. You know, I'm I'm still happy to be writing, right? So, like, there's all shades of gray in, in how you kind of manage these things. Yeah, I think the hardest part of all of this is like asking for what you need because that feels very scary in most situations. But when you do it and you get what you need or you shift things so that it's more manageable, that's when you get back into that that happy place with your your work that you're doing. You just have to get over the emotional like fear and and worry and anxiety over is this going to go badly? And the yeah. real question is like are you digging yourself deeper and deeper into a hole that you soon will no longer be able to get out of. Yeah. And I I do think too, is that like, if you try and uphold some boundaries and you tell someone what you need and they cannot respect that and they continue to do all of the same things or it's worse or they get mad or whatever, then like that, that's a pretty clear sign that they're not going to be a good fit for you. Right. I mean, but I just think you shouldn't necessarily write someone off if they, if you haven't given them a chance to work in a way that will work for you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Freelance Writing Coach Podcast. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com. Thank you.